when you get a gift and you can't wait to open it. My Christmas tree, because Dana and Andrew and the kids are coming and traveling and Chris and Rachel, so everybody has been sending their Christmas gifts to my house. My family room looks like an Amazon truck jackknifed in the living room and just dumped presents everywhere. We had to move the chairs last night to rearrange them because the tree is filling up with presents. I love gifts. It can be something simple or it can be something great. But have you ever gotten one of those gifts when you looked at it and went, oh, thank you. And you're thinking, what, what is it? <laughs> what am I going to do with this? And why in the world did they give it to me? Well, my husband... He gets to tell stories on me every week. So now it's my turn, right? Okay. Not every week. A few years ago, he discovered this little section on Amazon called Kitchen Gadgets. And all of a sudden, I started getting these random things for my kitchen, like silicone hot spoon holders, special pot holders, um, pasta pots. And I'm looking at these things, and Amy's going, why are you ordering all this stuff? And I'm like, I didn't order this. And so finally I figured out that somebody else was ordering kitchen gadgets that he just thought I would love. So one day I got this package that he was all excited about, and I opened it up, and it was an Instapot. Now, how many of you know what an Instapot is? Okay, I remember looking at that thing and thinking, I have four crock pots in the basement. <laughs> I use one of them. What am I going to do with this Instapot? So it was like, okay, thank you, dear. And I put it on the counter. Well, one night when we were home for family night, I decided to read the instruction book. And I'm reading and it is like, all of a sudden I'm going, hey, did you know that this will do this? And he's over there going, Yep. <laughs> Well, did you know it'll do this? Yep. Did you know you can put food straight from the freezer into the Instapot and it will cook it and thaw it out and pressure cook it? And, and he was like, yep. And I'm thinking, you know, I think I might like this gift. Well, now I will fight you for my Instapot. Don't you come try to take my Instapot away because a gift that I thought, what in the world am I going to do with this? Or I don't need this, I've got something else, and I really don't know what to do with it anyway. It was amazing how when I actually put it to work, I loved it. I can imagine when these three wise men, kings from afar, whatever they were, showed up at Mary and Joseph's. And we don't know when they got there because the scripture tells us that when they decided that they, the king was going to kill all the newborn babies, that they went two years old and under. So it, Jesus could have been a toddler by the time the wise men got there. So I can imagine them getting these three gifts and Mary and Joseph looking at that bag and going, yes, gold, <laughs> that we can use. And myrrh, that's, that's, we probably can find a use for that. But looking at frankincense, a bottle of incense and going, thank you, uh, I appreciate your gift. Now, where's that gold again? 
But when you start reading, and when I started doing some research on what frankincense was used for, it was like my Instapot. I was getting all excited going, did you know you can do this with frankincense? Did you know it does this? Do you know it represents that? So Dennis has heard this message in bits and pieces for the last few weeks. So I want to share with you a little bit. I'm going to share with you about the present. I'm going to share with you about its purpose. And then you know that the Bible does a lot of things that give us pictures of things that maybe we can't quite know how to interpret. Or maybe they make us look forward to something in the future. So I'm going to give you the present, the purpose, and a picture. So let's jump in and get started here. This gift of frankincense could have been one of those gifts that you looked at and you thought, what is it and what am I supposed to do with it? But when you start taking it apart and really looking at what it was, there are some amazing things represented here. First, it was a gift for royalty. It was a gift in the East that they would have given to a sultan. And at the birth of a, child, of a son that would be the future sultan, that was a gift that they would have brought to him. It was the pure forms of it were very rare, very expensive, and had to be traded from um, Oman, Yemen, the Horn of Africa, Somalia, and Ethiopia. So it was, it was a job to even get your hands on it in the first place. And then it was something that in the purest forms of it were reserved for royalty. A few years ago, we were in Sofia. And that part of the world, Bulgaria, is known for growing roses. And it was like, oh, I want some rose oil while we're here. And so we went to all of these little shops and we're looking and I'm looking at the box and I'm like, no, that's not rose oil. That's like a diluted form. I don't want that. I want the real thing. So I go into the shop and I tell the guy, I want some rose oil and I want the real, the real thing. And so he goes in the back, opens the case, unlocks the case, opens the case and comes out with a bottle. <laughs> and I'm like, I better ask how much this is. And this little quarter of an ounce bottle was $80. And I'm thinking, you know that diluted stuff down the street at the little shop? Maybe it's not so bad after all. But I had promised a friend that I would bring her some rose oil. So I bought it and I brought it home. And I kept looking at that little bitty teeny tiny bottle and thinking, why in the world did I buy that? But when I brought it to my friend, she was so excited because she works with aromatherapy and getting the pure rose oil here would have been about $400 for that little, little, little bitty bottle. I felt good about my gift then. I felt good about bringing her something that was valuable. Well, what they brought to Mary and Joseph for this baby was something of value. The scripture in Matthew chapter 2 tells us that the Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and they asked, not where is a baby, not where is, you know, what's going on here, we've seen a star, we don't know what it means, but they said, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? And then Matthew tells us something else very interesting. These 
probably very highly educated, very wealthy, well-traveled men knelt down by a baby and worshipped. On coming to the house, Matthew chapter 2, 11 tells us, they saw the child and his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. So not only did they bring him a gift that was worthy of royalty, they brought him the gift of worship. Incense has been used in worship for a long time. If you go back to the Old Testament, to Exodus, when God is telling them how to set up the temple, he talks about burning incense before the altar of the Lord. Incense was symbolic of worship. Incense was symbolic of our praise. Incense was also symbolic of our prayers. When they harvest frankincense, they dry the sap of it, and then it is burned as incense. In Exodus, when God is giving instructions on how to set up the temple, he tells Aaron, Aaron must burn fragrant incense on the altar every morning when he tends the lamps. He must burn incense again when he lights the lamps at twilight. So incense will be burning regularly before the Lord for the generations to come. Now, was this just to make the place smell good? No, it was symbolic of something. It was symbolic of worship to God. It was symbolic of praise going up to God. And it was symbolic of our prayers. Revelations 8, 3, and 4, talking about the angels, as we looked at in the book of Revelations as we were studying that, that another angel with a golden incense burner came and stood at the altar. He was given a large amount of incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar in front of the throne. The smoke of the incense from the prayers of the saints went up in the presence of God from the angels' hands. Saturday night when we were here praying at 6 o'clock, there are several other churches that I know around you know, in different states and different places that they all meet at 6 o'clock on Saturday night and pray. And I was thinking about this scripture and about tonight and what I was going to be sharing. And in my mind, I tend to think in pictures. Sometimes that's a good thing. Sometimes that's not a good thing. But I, I thought of all of us sitting here around this room praying and that our prayers were like the smoke that comes up off of incense. And then I got a mental picture of the smoke from our church going up into the heavens. And the smoke from their church going up into the heavens. And the smoke from another church going up into the heavens. And uniting and all coming before the throne of God. And that's our prayers. That's what we're giving to God. Before I ask you for anything, Lord, I'm going to exalt you. Lord, before I, before I bring you any need, I'm going to praise you. But because I can come boldly into your presence, I'm going to bring my prayers and my request as well. And I'm going to offer it as an incense before your throne. The wise men brought a gift of royalty. They also brought a gift of worship. But here's an interesting fact that I found out about frankincense and how it's harvested. Frankincense was also a gift of stability. Now, what do I mean by that? All right, I practice saying this word, so I hope I get it right. So if you know better, just send me an email. Boswellia sacra is the tree that is 
that they harvest frankincense from. And it's, one, it's unusual because it has the ability to grow in the harshest of environments. Environments that would be totally unforgiving for any other plant, that nothing else would grow there. And these trees not only grow there, but they flourish there. They grow sometimes out of solid rock. And they've gone in and they've researched and they've tried to figure out. They know how it attaches to the rock, but they don't know how it gets there in the first place. In this most difficult to place, this beautiful tree grows that has this sap that is used to make frankincense. The growth is so strong and that tree is so anchored in the rock that violent storms can't even rip it apart from the rocks and tip it over. Well, my mind immediately went to the scripture in 1 Samuel chapter 2 that says, There is no one holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. And there is no rock like our God. I don't know about you. But I have found myself in life, sometimes in some difficult situations, in some unforgiving situations, in some situations that I thought, how in the world did I even get here and get mixed up in this? But I have found in the middle of the most difficult times is when my anchor holds the tightest to God. When I feel that sense that I am anchored to that rock, I am stuck stuck to that rock, nothing is going to tear me away, winds can blow, storms can come, but God, I can't control the storm, but I can hold on to you, and when my strength gives out, he holds on to me. What a beautiful picture of what this little baby brought to us, stability, that we can be anchored to the rock that is him. That is Jesus himself, that is God. Psalm 62, 6 says it so beautifully. Truly, he is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress and I will not be shaken. I think a lot about when Andrew went to Iraq. And it was a difficult time. That's a, he left the night before Thanksgiving. And our, the night before our Thanksgiving service. And it was one of those things. He said, Mom, I don't know if I'll even get to call you. When they, when they tell us to go, we just get on the plane and we go. And we knew he'd been, been waiting. And, and just as he was loading the plane, he got a minute to call us and say, I'm gone. I love you. Well, you know what we have to do? You know, we're pastors. Church has to go on. You know, I want to stay home and cry for a few days. But we've got Thanksgiving service. And we come up and I'm singing that night. And Pastor Mark must have known. But he had chosen one of the songs that says, you know, I'm blessed of the Lord. The Lord gives. <laughs> And the Lord takes away, 
Blessed be the name of the Lord. I felt totally out of control. I couldn't control where he was going. I couldn't control what was going to happen to him. I couldn't communicate with him. It was like I felt the most helpless I can ever remember feeling in my life of, of God. I just put my son in your hands. And I have to totally trust you to take care of him. And there's not a thing in the world I can do to control it. As a matter of fact, when he left, Andrew said, do not let dad come to Baghdad, because I know my dad. If things get bad, he's liable to show up over there. Um, he would have if he could have, and we actually considered it a couple of times, but decided that maybe the, the State Department wouldn't like that, so we didn't go. There was something that night, I stood here and sang, and you guys sang, and the whole time I'm singing, Tears are just flowing down my face because I'm having to say on the outside, blessed be the name of the Lord. The Lord gives and takes away. And on the inside, I'm saying, God, please don't take my son. Please don't take my son. And if you've been a mom or a wife or, and you've had a, a loved one that's gone into war, you know what that means. But I'm going to tell you something. In the middle of that, and in the middle of singing that one song, my tears changed from tears of panic to tears of God. I trust you. You are blessed. You are the blessed one. You are my anchor. God, I can't control this, but I can hang on to you. And I'm telling you, for that two years, there were a lot of midnights that we hung on to that rock and said, God, you've got to be with him. You've got to take care of him. I need that stability in my life. I don't have it in myself. Myself wants to fall apart, but God says, that's okay. I'm your rock. I'm your anchor. I'm your stability. Well, not only is this a beautiful picture of stability, of how those trees can just hang onto those rocks, it's also a picture of sacrifice. Because when these trees grow up in this rock, these these. Um, nest of rocks, their roots become entangled, their roots become kind of stretched apart, and there is a viper, a snake, that likes to nest right in the roots of that anchor. What a picture. I told you I think in pictures. And I think all the, I think about the times that I know that the enemy has tried with everything he's got to crawl right in there to where my roots are wrapped around the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ and tried to be that, you know, I'm going to get in here and I'm going to work you away from your, your stability. I'm going to work you away from the Lord. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get in here and I'm going to work. Can you see it in your mind like I see it? I can see those snakes just trying to get in there between those roots and where they can't find a place to nest, that they wiggle and squiggle until they find a place that they can get in there, but still those trees stand, stand strong. The Greek historian Herodotus wrote about frankincense, that it was harvested from the trees in southern Arabia. And he reported that the gum was very dangerous to harvest because of these venomous snakes that like to live in the trees. And he goes on to describe how that the, the harvesters 
would put themselves at great risk and great sacrifice to harvest this frankincense from the trees. The only way they could get to was, was to burn a gum from another tree that would draw, the smoke would drive the snakes away. It was a sacrifice for them to go in there and harvest this frankincense. It was a sacrifice that every time they went in to this area to harvest frankincense, they put their life on the line. And what a beautiful picture. We see a cute little baby. I loved these little toddlers Sunday in their little um, sheep costumes and the little, the little horsey. I just love seeing those babies. We look at that and we see innocence. But what it is truly is a little baby who came to be the sacrifice, who put himself at total risk for us. Romans 3.25 says this, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. And he did this to demonstrate his righteousness. Not our righteousness, not anything I could do, but he put himself and gave himself totally as the gift of sacrifice. But there's something else that is coupled with that sacrifice of atonement. I can kind of understand what it means to, to sacrifice so that we could go to heaven. I mean, Jesus had a bigger picture than we had. When he was on the cross, he wasn't living just in that moment. He knew that every drop of his blood was for me, was for my sins. We used to do these big musical cantatas, you know, and, and we'd have the songs and the, the Easter productions. And one year it was my role to be Mary at the foot of the cross. And we had Jesus up on the cross. And you know, I've known this story since I was a little girl. I could tell it to you backwards and forwards, you know. I knew all about, about the Roman centurion and, and the cross and, the, and the, how they beat Jesus. And I knew the story and, you know, I was an adult. So I'd been living for Jesus for a long time. And at the foot of the cross, the actor that was playing Jesus had this fake blood on him. For some reason... That blood dropped off of him and hit me right in the face. Not in the microphone. Hit me right in the face and dripped down my face. And I reached up and wiped it off. And in that moment, there was such a... I just started to sob. You know, they told me later, you're really a good actor. And I was like, no, I wasn't. I was really crying. Because for a moment, I realized... There was nothing I could do for my sin. That one drop of blood was all I needed to restore me to relationship with God and to wash every bit of my sins away. The most, the most awful sin I could imagine, one teeny tiny drop of his blood was enough. But there's something else that goes hand in hand with the sacrifice for atonement and forgiveness, and that's a gift of healing. When Jesus was about to be crucified, it wasn't enough that they were going to kill him. They took him out, strapped him to a post, and they beat him. 
in the most horrible way you can imagine. The book of Isaiah tells us, Isaiah 53 and 5, looking forward to the cross, not just his sacrifice for the forgiveness of our sins, but it says he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, and some translations say by his stripes, we are healed. When frankincense is harvested, one of the great purposes of frankincense is it has healing properties about it. It can be mixed with other things and it makes an antibiotic. It can be used topically. It can be taken orally. It was used by the Egyptians in the mummification process. It was used as the, by the Persians for medicine. It was used for diabetes, gastritis, and stomach ulcers. So it can be used topically on the skin or it can be used internally for healing. But let me tell you the story of how frankincense is harvested. Frankincense is tapped from these scraggly but hardy trees, and it's a process called striping, where the bark of the tree is actually slashed. And by, with each slash, the resin begins to bleed out of it and harden. When the hardened streaks form, they call those tears. Frankincense producers wound the tree using a, a chisel-like tool in order to let the sap come out of the tree. And in this sap, there is healing. And when I pray, and I am asking God for a healing, and I'm praying for my brother-in-law right now, and I'm asking God, he needs a miracle. And every time I pray, I say, God, remember that moment that your son took stripes on his back, that his blood poured out, and you said... I didn't say it, Lord, you said it. By those stripes, that wounding, that scarring of his body, by his stripes, Lord, you provided healing for us. And that's what I pray when I ask God for healing. 1 Peter chapter 2 and 24 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to our sins and live for righteousness by his stripes, by his wounds, by the tearing of his flesh, we have been healed. And if I needed any other scripture, if this was the only scripture I got that told me that I could ask God for healing, this would be one of those rock moments that you grab it and you hang on to it and you say, Lord, your word says this is what your son did for my healing. What a beautiful picture that God not only cared about us eternally, but God cared about us right now, living this life in this world to the point that he not only took care of our salvation at the cross, 
But he made a little stop on the way to the cross at a whipping post. In an awful moment of blood loss and tearing so that I could live this life in health. Sometimes that health comes as a miracle. Sometimes that health comes through medication. Sometimes it comes through a doctor. Sometimes it comes through a moment that a doctor says, I don't know what to do, but I'm not a believer, but I think this is what I'm supposed to do for you. You see, God is working in all of those things for our healing. Then there's another beautiful fact about the process of getting this frankincense from the tree to something that is of value and separated for the use by royalty. And that's the gift of purity. The first sap that comes out of the tree is considered to be impure. And the harvesters will, will slash the tree, but let the first sap just drain out. And they wait for that second harvest of sap. And that second harvest is the purest form of the frankincense. And the, the more the harvest, the more of those impurities come out, the more valuable the frankincense is. What a beautiful picture of how this sap, they say it cleanses the tree of its impurities. And if you, harv if you don't harvest that first sap, if you don't get those impurities out and let it just drain away, then it mixes with the rest of the sap and the, uh, the rest of the sap is impure. But by taking that first harvest and throwing it away, giving, just giving it away, then the pure harvest can come. You see, Jesus... When he came as a little bitty child, as a baby, and when he walked on this earth as a young man, and when he gave his life on the cross, the scripture tells us he was purity. And the one thing that was lost in the Garden of Eden, when God created, he created pure. He created purity. But when sin came into the Garden of Eden, that was lost. That was separate. Adam and Eve had to be separated from the Garden of Eden because they couldn't live there anymore in their impure state. And what Jesus brought back to this earth and walked out a life of was a life of purity. And he told us to follow him, to walk as he walked. Purity is a hard thing to walk in. It's hard not to be sinful at times. It's, I feel like Peter more than I feel like Jesus sometimes. And I feel like Paul who says, you know, why is it that the thing I want to do is not the thing I do? And when I want to do what I don't want to do, I end up doing what I don't want to do? I understand that. It's like you get in the car and you go, Lord, why did I say that? Lord, why did I do that? Why in the world did I hit send? I should have just let it go. Or I should have stopped in my moment of weakness. I should have separated myself from the temptation. But Jesus came and walked on this earth in its impure state 
a life of purity. So much so that when John the Baptist was in the desert and he saw Jesus coming toward him, as he, John the Baptist was preaching and baptizing people in the Jordan River, he saw Jesus coming. And as he came toward him, John chapter 1 verse 20 says that John called out, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. The lamb that was to be given as sacrifice according to Old Testament law was to be pure, was to be white, was not to have one blemish, not one scar, not a spot in its fur, not an imperfection in its body. It was to be the perfect spotless lamb. And in all of our perfection, we are still imperfect. But Jesus embodied on this earth perfection. And those lambs were looking forward to the time that the perfect lamb would indeed come and would indeed be sacrificed for the world. It was a restoration of what had been lost. It was a restoration of a relationship with God that we can only have through the sacrifice of the one that is pure. Ephesians 5.29 says, talking about Christ, that he might present himself a gift. And what's the gift that Christ wanted? To present to himself a glorious church. Do you know what Christ wants for Christmas? He wants us. He wants a glorious church not having spot or wrinkle, or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish or pure. I had a conversation with someone that was of another religion, and they had been on a journey. Um, they had gone overseas, and they had, had been on this journey that um, they were to walk so many miles on their knees. They were to climb stairs on their knees. They were to you know, go to this place that was supposed to be symbolic of them you know, being um, <sighs> repentant and penitent for their sins. And we had this conversation and he said, you know, I came back and I don't feel any different. He said, I saved my money for years to be able to do that. And, and I still don't know if I'm forgiven. And we were in a work situation, and I knew I couldn't just flip out my Bible. I mean, I could, but I thought, no, I won't do that right now. But I went in the back room, and I wrote down on a piece of paper about Christ's forgiveness and put some scriptures on there about it's not our righteousness, but it's God's. And I went back and stuck it in his mailbox in the back of the office. And he came back in the next day and he said, I read your note. <laughs> I was like, did it help? And he was like, I'm working on it. We try, don't we? We try everything we can be to be perfect. We try everything we can be to live righteously. We try everything we can do to have purity in our lives and we still fall short. But Christ looks at us and he sees his bride pure, holy, spotless, 
no blemishes, no fault, no flaws, perfect. Because of the church, we're flawed. We mess up. We make mistakes. But he looks at us through his own blood and he says, my bride is perfect. And then there's one final thing that this frankincense is a picture of. And that's the picture of God's presence. Exodus chapter 30, verses 34 and 36. We talked about frankincense being incense that is burned. And that there is incense that was burned before the altar of the Lord. And that even in, our, in heaven, that incense rises before the throne of God in the form of our prayers and our praise and our worship. Exodus 30, chapter 34 through 36. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take fragrant spices, gum, resin, and whatever that word is, Heinz, and galbanium and pure frankincense. Not the first harvest, the pure stuff. All in equal amounts and make a fragrant blend of incense. The work of a perfumer is to be salted and pure and sacred. Grind some of it to a powder and place it in front of the Ark of the Covenant Law in the tent of meeting where I will meet with you and it shall be most holy to you. Do you remember in the Old Testament when Joshua was a young man and Moses would go into the tent and he would talk to God? Joshua would hide outside the tent and listen. He knew Moses was in the presence of God and there was a hunger in him. He wasn't the leader yet. He wasn't the mighty warrior that he was going to be. He wasn't going to be, he wasn't the one yet that was raised up as Moses' successor. But at that moment, that young heart wanted to be in the place of where God was. And if we want to grow in our relationship with God, if we want to know what it's like to really walk with God, we are per not perfect by any means, but we need to be hungry for the presence of God. And if you're not hungry for the presence of God, then it's time to get back on your knees and start offering up some incense and prayers of repentance and forgiveness and worship and praise to the Lord. For in that place, I will meet with you. And what did the angel tell to Mary? This wonderful thing that's going to happen. This baby that comes from heaven. His name shall be called Emmanuel. God with us, never to be separated again. If we separate from God, it's because we choose to walk away from his presence. But every time we walk into his presence, every time we kneel before him, every time we open the Bible and we start to read his words, he's there with us. In the moment that I feel like I can't hang on anymore, that my roots in the rock are trembling, He is there. At the moment that I think, hey, I've got this God, I can handle it, He's still working behind the scenes because He sees a bigger picture than I see. In the moment that I need His stability in my life, in the moment that I need healing, He is with me. 
in the moment that I need restoration. He is the purity. They could have called him anything. They could have called him a mighty counselor. Because there's time we need the counsel of the Holy Spirit. They could have called him mighty God. Because he is the mighty God. The Trinity. The Son of the Lord Most High. They could have called him Prince of Peace. He's the only one that brings true peace to our hearts in the most troubled of times. But the angel said, it's going to be so simple. He's going to be with you. I know sometimes when, you know, things are busy, things are hectic, things are going on all over the place, like the Christmas season, there is a closeness in just as a couple sitting down in the same room and sitting by the fireplace and reading a book. We're not talking. Just being together. And sometimes I go into my little room where my piano is and I sit down and I curl up in the chair and I just go, Hi, Lord. I just need to sit with you for a little while. I need to calm my spirit before you and you don't have to say anything. You don't have to speak to my heart. Sometimes I read the word. Sometimes I don't. Sometimes I just sit there and I enjoy being with the Lord. What a beautiful picture that he has given us through a gift that you might look at and think, what am I supposed to do with this? And he says, through this simple gift of incense, I'm reminding you, wherever you are, Whatever's going on, whatever the moment, I am with you. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I am so grateful for you. I cannot begin to imagine what this world would be like if you had not shown up as a baby. I can't imagine, Lord the disease and sickness that would be rampant if it weren't for your healing. Lord, I cannot imagine living a life without your forgiveness and your restoration. Lord, I can't imagine living a life without you because I need you. I need you to be my anchor. I need you to be my rock. I need you to be my healing. I need you to be my stability. Lord, I need you that I accept your sacrifice. And Lord, I need to follow your example of purity and righteousness and look to myself to produce anything but to follow after you and your righteousness. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. How we would like to keep you in a manger, pure and innocent, without a blemish on your body. But you chose to stand at a whipper's block and be chained and beaten for me. Not for heaven, but for earth that I could walk in healing. And then you chose to hang and cling to a cross when you could have left it. Because you wanted restoration and forgiveness for my sins. And just like that little drop of fake blood that hit my cheek. Lord, it just took 
a drop of your blood to bring forgiveness for everything in my life that has separated me from you. Father, I look forward to the time of not just sitting in my living room in a comfy chair with your Bible, with your Word. Father, but I look forward to coming into the very throne of heaven. And if I can think in a picture, I can imagine climbing up in your lap on your throne and saying, Hey, Daddy, let's just sit together for a little while. I just want to be in your presence. And Lord, help us to remember in this beautiful holiday season, it's not all about gifts and giving and all of the fun things that come with us. But it's the truth of the declaration that now you are Emmanuel, God with me. Amen.